Welcome along to the Brain for Business, Brain for Life podcast with me, Lawrence Nell, where we take the lessons from evidence-based academic research, most particularly involving the brain and behavioral sciences, and translate them in a way that is accessible for leaders and organizations. It is an absolute pleasure to welcome to this episode of Brain for Business, Brain for Life, Sasha Decker. Originally from the Netherlands, Sasha is an accomplished learning and development professional and has had a highly successful career spanning the energy and technology sectors for organizations including Shell, LinkedIn, Oracle, and now as Vice President of Global Go-To-Market Enablement for HubSpot. Sasha, it is a pleasure to speak to you. It is lovely to be here, Laurie. Thanks so much for having me. Well, thank you for joining us. And maybe to start, Perhaps you can tell us a little bit about yourself, your background, and, and also your career to date. Well, thank you. Um, so yeah, originally from the Netherlands, indeed, I moved to Ireland um, coming up to nine years ago and love it here so much that I'm about to trade in my Dutch citizenship for an Irish one. And um, how about that? Because the Netherlands doesn't <laughs> allow dual citizenship. Um, yeah, so found my purpose in learning and development. Um, and I remember that moment really, really well. I saw someone, I was on a, uh, on a high potential program, uh, saw someone in front of our classroom and all I could think is that's it. That's who I want to be. Cause at the time I was in customer services, started my career in sales. And it's just one of these really beautiful moments where all you can think is that's it. That's what I want to do. Took me a couple of more years, spent some time in South Africa when Shell at the time decided to offshore all of its customer service activities to Cape Town. And then when I came back, the universe just came together for me. I had the opportunity to move in Shell, into Shell's Commercial Academy, which is a part of the organization that looks after large complex transactions worth 500 million or more. Now talking of imposter syndrome, I was like, love it that I can finally move into learning and development, but oh my word, like these are very senior leaders working on super large transactions. How am I gonna support these people? And I really learned that it's about focusing on what you know, because I knew about coaching. I learned how to tie, you know, like a learning and development strategy to a business strategy. And I learned that if you tell people that you want to help them and you learn how to listen, people are open to receiving feedback. So I learned loads. Then a brilliant opportunity came along to join LinkedIn, moved to Ireland. And from then I moved to Oracle and now, yeah, in HubSpot. Okay. So that's it in a nutshell. So you, you said you've been in Ireland now for, for nine years. So that would take us back to, to 2012. And I think it was 2013 when, when we first met. Yes. But if we, if we step along that pathway, in 2015, everything changed for you. Can you maybe tell us what happened in 2015? So yeah, 24th of August, 2015, I had surgery. That was supposed to be fairly simple. Back in 2009, I started having epileptic seizures. <clears throat> Excuse me. And so on 24th of August, I had brain surgery. Now, it sounds really scary, but this was supposed to be the appendix surgery of brain surgery, something that they'd been doing for 12 years. Every month, nothing had ever gone wrong. Like the idea was have surgery on Monday, walk out on Thursday, so really just three nights in hospital stay home for two months and then start your epilepsy free life. You know, just more glory to me. 
And um, last thing I remember is the anesthetist telling me to count back from 10. First thing I remember is two nurses telling me they're going to roll me over. In between that, there's 48 hours that I don't remember. I was fully paralyzed down my left side. I'd had a massive bleed in my brain. And you can't roll yourself over when you're fully paralyzed. Three weeks later, one of my medical team came to tell me that based on the MRI they'd taken earlier that day, it was highly unlikely I'd ever walk, work or live independently again. He handed me a list of nursing homes. I'll never forget it. And he told me that there were other people like me in there and that surely I'd still have some quality of life. And, and can I actually ask you, if, if you don't mind me asking, mm -hmm. how old were you at this point? I was 42. So at 42, a doctor came and said, here's a list of nursing homes. Yeah. Choose one. Yeah. It's, it's something I, I actually thought back of quite a bit during this whole pandemic, you know, reading of people in nursing homes and how visitors weren't allowed and got me to tears quite a bit thinking that that could have been me. I could have been in there had I not had the strength of mind and the willpower and the resilience to decide right then and there two things that A, I was going to walk and not just that, I was going to walk on the Great Wall of China. And the second was, I was absolutely going to go back to work full time. Yeah. And how, how did you do that? How did you find that resolve, that resilience when everyone around you and presumably, and I'm assuming they all had the best intentions for you and, and for your long term health and well-being. How did you find that resolve and resilience to continue and, and to come back? It, it's, you know, you know, sometimes I think I don't know. It was never an option for me not to go back to work and not to walk. And, and I think back of this and I talk about this quite a bit with my best friend who's been absolutely amazing. She's in the Netherlands and she somehow found a way to fly to Dublin almost every three weeks. And, and she sometimes looks at me and she goes, I don't know how you did it and not, you know, to you know, blow my own horn or everything, but everyone kept telling me, just accept, just accept. And I think that there's one person who's been absolutely amazing. Um, my physiotherapist in Beaumont Hospital, Roisin Vance. She's been one of these people who absolutely believed in me. Like I remember when I told her for the first time and I was handed over to her and I remember telling her for the first time, I'm going to walk on the Great Wall of China. <laughs> now, at this moment in time, I couldn't even stand. And, you know, she didn't even bat an eyelid. She just said, well, it looks like we got our work cut out for us. You know, shit, Sherlock. <laughs> and I think that that helped. I think everyone needs someone to believe in them so i think that's really important and i just refuse to believe everyone else because everyone was like you're just going to take a few steps you know maybe in the safety of your own home and i was just like nope 
it's going to be the Great Wall of China. Now, that was a very specifically chosen goal. So I had my very first epileptic seizure the night my brother and I were looking into music for my dad's funeral. My dad and I were very, very close. He and I were supposed to go to China together and he passed away less than a month before he and I were to board a plane to go to China. So that okay. goal of the Great Wall was very much in honor of him. He was my hero. And so, yeah, so I was like, well, I'm going to do that. I'll be walking on the Great Wall in China. And I think there are some things. A, I never, ever looked up any evidence-based materials around what are my chances. I didn't do that. I didn't go into YouTube or Google or anything like that. I focused on me. This is my journey. The other thing is I never asked why me? You know, there, there is no answer to that. You never ask why me when things are going well. So there's no reason to ask why me when things aren't going well. And the other thing is there's no answer to that. I also allowed myself to be really sad. You know, there's like when you look at the whole neuroscience of things, people who force themselves to be positive all the time, that, you know, goes to toxic positivity. So I cried oceans of tears and then I picked myself up again. And I had to make choices a lot. Like this wasn't easy. I do believe that resilience is a choice. You know, you're not born resilient. No one is born resilient. You choose to be resilient. You know, you either choose to be bitter or better. I chose to be better. I chose to, okay, how am I going to get out of this? Because if I choose to be bitter, then I am going to end up in a wheelchair. Does that make sense? It does. It does. And and so if we if we take that, you said that, you know, your, your goal and you discussed it with your physio and then no doubt you said it to, to everyone else, the nurses, yeah. the doctors, the occupational therapists who yeah. were working with you. Your goal was the Great Wall of China. So yeah. tell me, did you get there? I did on the 24th of August, 2017, to the day, two years after the bleed, I walked on the Great Wall of China. Yeah. Congratulations. It, it, it must have been an amazing feeling to have, to have got there. And I guess to remember your father and to think about your own journey. Yeah, it was. It, listen, no one ever told me how steep the Great Wall of China is and how many steps there are. I was like, oh, let's do this. And then I saw it and I was like, wow. So, yeah, no, it was amazing. My best friend was there with me and it was overwhelming and emotional and it was everything. It was absolutely fantastic. Yes. Yeah, it was. It, it yeah. sounds like it. So, if we think about that that journey, so mm -hmm. let's describe starting off, you know, very successful career, Shell, LinkedIn and Oracle and so on. And then obviously 2015, the operation mm -hmm. that didn't go according to plan. In a, in a relatively short number of years, you went from being physically able, on the move, flying around the world, doing lots of different things as part of your personal and professional life to someone who is at times reliant on a cane, on a walker, on, on, on a wheelchair. How, how has that been, both personally and professionally for you? I think that is where 
resilience probably came in more than anything else because the world doesn't cater to disabilities either visible or invisible because of course like being epileptic i've seen both sides of that but especially physical disabilities the world doesn't cater to that so first of all i had to learn to put all my pride aside and ask people for help and i think beautiful things came out of that because there are always people willing to help you like when you ask people there are always people willing to help you and that's been beautiful it's also been the toughest thing i've ever had to learn especially at the start when i wasn't able to do anything like exactly to what you're saying you know going from flying around the world discussing five-year strategies as a facilitator being in front of large groups to all of a sudden especially at the start being completely helpless and dependent on other people but then even now you know i walk with a stick i wear a brace i've learned that there's first of all what i never ever realized is the amount of people who equate a physical disability with a mental one like that was absolutely shocking the amount of people who just either don't talk to me talk over me or especially when i'm in the wheelchair just you know we'll talk to the person who's pushing the wheelchair does she want something to drink too like i remember the first time that happened and i was like sorry excuse me what <laughs> and my, my best friend was like yes yeah, she can order her own drink thank you very much so that is just but then also being back in work like i remember going back and together with someone from the logistics team i was visiting a venue to see if that venue would be suitable for some of our trainings and so i hand over my business cards and it reads sasha decker senior director and one of the logistics team is there and her business card and mind you this is not about status i don't care about status but her business card reads administrative something and nevertheless the person of the venue keeps talking to her and every time i try to interject the person goes you yeah, know i'm sure whatever their name is needs to make a decision here and i'm like well i'm the senior director i'm i'm end responsible they just couldn't fathom that someone with a physical disability would have any kind of say in this you know i've been called the pity hire the quota filler i've literally been asked why people like me because that's a, a very interesting thing all of a sudden you become people like you and people like you is never a positive thing it's never people like you 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 gorgeous blonde fantastic resilient woman it's always something negative you know why do people like you take up roles that should be filled by healthy people like how do you even respond to that i remember and this is in hindsight it just makes me laugh so in oracle where i worked um senior director and op get their own office and so at some point i'm in the bathroom and this girl says to me isn't it wonderful that oracle gives people like you their own office and i'm like <laughs> what senior directors like you sasha well that's and i'm like sorry what 
And she goes, well, you know, people like you who have something. And, and, and you know, it's these moments when you're like, what? And still, you know, you're like, I, I don't know how to respond to this. So there's things like that. There's the continuous envy over disability parking base, which always, you know, the amount of people go, yeah, people like you always get the best parking. I don't want to. I wish I, it was easier for me to walk half a kilometer to the shops. But you know what? There's a reason they allow me to park here. The envy over things like that is just insane. But again, so you need to very quickly learn to define yourself. You know, I know who I am. I know what I bring to the table. I know that I worked so hard to get to where I am today. I've earned everything I have right now. There are always going to be people who judge me and who think less of my capabilities based on the fact that I have a physical disability. And that's okay. It's their loss, not mine. And, and my immediate response, because it's it's interesting you say that's okay, because my immediate response is it's not okay, because it's the same as putting anyone else in any other form of category and saying people like you, whether that's based on race, gender, or any other form of whatever, because it's not okay on, on a certain level. And if you then bring in society more broadly, do you think society does enough to support people who, you know, whether they require additional mobility supports or they have some form of disability? And I love that question. When it comes to diversity and inclusion and belonging, disabilities are at the bottom of the list. So if you look at um, gender, every company we are basically every company now understands that we need to do something about, you know, making sure that there are enough women at the top. And I love that because I think it's important that we understand that it isn't either or. You know, most companies do something around International Women's Day. Most companies do something in June around Pride. And again, so important. I love that because everyone needs to be able to be their own true authentic self. Most companies are finally understanding, and of course, George Floyd and BLM has really helped with this, are doing something around ethnicity now. And that's great. When it comes to disabilities, if you ask most companies, are you aware that there is an international day of people with disabilities? They're like, oh, really? When? Spoiler alert, it's on the 3rd of December. You know, and, and the main reason for that is that people think it's difficult. When you speak of disabilities, they're like, oh my word, we're going to have to make adjustments. What if they can't come to work? What if we do something wrong? Especially American companies, they're like, oh my word, they might sue us. You know, they think of difficult. They think of things they need to adjust. They think of everything that could go wrong. So disabilities companies really need to start working on this because they are missing out and it's just a shame it comes with a lot of bias around this 
So yeah, I think we're going to get there. I think it's going to get better, but there is a lot of work to do. And is that, do you think, a is that a societal thing? Is it a is it an organizational thing? I mean, what 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 is it that that drives that, and where does that change need to happen? Do do we all, as members of our societies, need to to take that step up, step up and and put pressure on organizations, or do organizations need to take the lead? What what would you suggest? Great question. I think it starts with it being a societal thing. Generally speaking, we think people with disabilities are a bit scary. You know, like, and, and I love that I can have conversations with my friends around this. And many of them are super honest. They're like, Sasha, if it weren't for you, I wouldn't know how to deal with people with disabilities. You know, even a friend of mine said the other day, if I meet someone in a wheelchair, I don't know how to look at them. You know, because if I look down to look them in the eye, do, will they, will they, because of course they, will they feel I look down on them, you know, or do I like crouch or, so there's, there's this level of discomfort around people with disabilities, you know, people in wheelchairs, people who walk with the stick like myself, people who are hard of hearing, people who are blind, you know, people want to help, but people don't know how to help even, you know, the language around it, you know, how to address them. Do you have a disability? Are you disabled? Then there's this whole thing around differently abled and it's all around because people want to feel better about themselves. Then I'm like, no, just ask, you know, just treat people with disabilities like you would treat everyone else. But yet there is a level of discomfort around people with disabilities and as long as that isn't taken away as long as we can't openly talk about it like i remember when i was first diagnosed with epilepsy and even though i had what they call silent seizures so i could have a seizure and no one else would notice i was like i probably need to tell a couple of people so i remember the very first person i told and this is like an intelligent person it was back in shell engineer his first response was, oh, are you a retard now? And I'm like, sorry, excuse me, what? I, I don't even know how to respond to that question. <laughs> I, know, I know. Second person, I was like, okay, well, maybe this was just a fluke. Second person goes, oh, yeah, yeah, no, I know. My cat has epilepsy too. It's so funny. When he has a seizure, he just rolls over. And all I can think is, well, first of all, I'm not a cat. Secondly, that's actually not funny at all. You should get the poor animal some medication. So first person calls me a retard. Second person compares me to their cat. I'm done telling people now that I'm diagnosed with epilepsy. So people don't know how to respond. In every company I've worked for, whenever I tell my story, I've had people come to me and tell me that they're either, you know, diagnosed with epilepsy, diabetes, dyslexia, and they're unwilling to tell their managers out of fear that this is going to impact their career. That is not good. We need to be able to talk about these things. Yeah, absolutely. And it reminds me of a conversation I had with someone a while ago about gender pronouns. 
and 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 you know gender identity and sexuality and so on and, and I think the conclusion that um, we came to, because it was obviously something that was very important to this person uh, in terms of their own identity and so on, was, you know, look, as long as people approach things with the best possible intentions, then you can work it out. It's it's more if people approach it from perhaps the perspective of your um, of your colleagues that you mentioned there at Shell, where where things might become a little bit more difficult, where actually that's not necessarily the the, the approach. Would would you agree with that? Absolutely. I'd always rather someone just asks me, what do I say? How do I call you? How can I help you? Then assume something. You know, it's okay to say, I don't know. I don't know what to say. I don't know what to call you. Then just, you know, fumble around it or just, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So if there were, you know, what if there were things that you could, you know, click your fingers and make happen, if you had, you know, the, the, the magic lantern, you'd get, have a genie with three wishes, what, what three things w would you say really need to change, whether it's in terms of the way organizations do things, or society does things, or, or more broadly? Oi, <laughs> you're putting me on the spot there. And I love that. Um, I think in society and in organizations, be more flexible. What I absolutely loved about the HubSpot process, for instance, and, and they've just been so amazing. I can't call them out enough, especially my recruiter, Holly. Um, from the very first moment, she was like, what do you need? And not in a, oh my word, I have someone with a disability. I need to make this fair for her, but in a very reasonable way. And I remember at some point we were talking about something about travel. And the thing is, I don't like being special because special generally isn't good. And she was like, Sasha, we love you. We think you're amazing. We've made you an offer. Just tell me what you need because we're happy to do that because we want you to come and work for us. And that made me feel good about myself. And then the fact that... Um, the chief customer officer took the time to watch a talk that I do, which was actually for Brain for Business. She took the time to look at that. That made me, that gave me such an amazing sense of belonging that I hadn't had for both LinkedIn and Oracle. I think that's amazing. So things like that, you know, it's not just about saying, hey, you're welcome. It's about going the extra mile because people, that sense of belonging, that matters. It's about making people feel at home. And then I think in society itself, again, it's about people don't want to feel like a nuisance. So over the weekend, I got my first vaccination and I was kind of dreading that, not because of the vaccination, because I feel so fortunate that we can get that, but it was given in the Aviva and the Aviva is huge. And I'd heard that it's quite a walk and there's going to be queues. And I was like, okay, how are we going to do this? Because I can't stand for very long. And the volunteers just took one look at me and I was like, where do I need to go? And they were like, would you like a wheelchair? You know, there wasn't a big sigh. It wasn't, oh, do you need a wheelchair? They were so kind. Would you like a wheelchair? And I was a bit reluctant here. I was like, well, you know, it's going to be far. I don't want to be a bother. And he was like, ma'am, you aren't a bother. 
let me get you a wheelchair. They were so kind and they stayed with me the entire way and we had loads of fun. That makes a difference. You know, not making someone feel that they're being difficult. It constantly goes back to that sense of belonging, making someone feel that it's okay. So yeah, I think these kinds of things, just making someone feel that it's okay, that you want to help them. And then the last thing, and I think this is important, and it's a small thing, but it's important. I love it when people want to help me. Please ask how you can help rather than doing something. So sometimes people just grab me by my left arm. The thing is, I my left arm is paralyzed, but it also spasms. So when someone just grabs my left arm, it'll spasm up. I once hit someone in the face. Trust me, I don't want to do that. It's just a spasm my arm has. So when, when you want to help someone, I promise you, they will appreciate it. Just ask, how can I help you? People appreciate that. And the one or two people who don't, just leave them be. But overall, ask people for help. Absolutely, please do that. They will appreciate it. Okay. So as, as, we, as we wrap up, Tell me, what, what, what does the future hold for Sasha Decker? Where to now? Um, I will always be an advocate for achievement. I want people to know that there is nothing you can't do if you define yourself. I was told that I wouldn't walk, work or live independently again. I could have listened to that. I've seen loads of people in hospital. I was in hospital for nine months. I've seen loads of people who listened to that. I decided not to. That wasn't an easy journey. You know, there are people like, oh, apparently it was really easy for you. It wasn't. I had to dig deep all the time, but I worked towards that. And so I didn't listen to that. I didn't accept. And then I walked on the Great Wall of China. I walked the 10K VHI mini marathon. I'm a vice president of global go-to-market enablement for HubSpot, one of the most amazing companies I know, company I wanted to work with when they interviewed me for the first time back in 2014. So don't let anyone ever tell you what you are and aren't capable of. Define yourself. That is my message and I'll always be so passionate about that. And so yeah, so I'll always really advocate for that. Um, so yeah, I think that is, that's a large part of my future. And just be kick-ass in my job, be happy, yeah, find someone to love, be happy. No, that all sounds great. Sasha Decker, thank you very much for your time. Thanks, Laurie.
song, Electronic Beat Time and Dream Sequence by Lorenzo's Music is licensed under an attribution share and share alike license.